0: Rats! I wonder if that's ever been you. Have you ever been there? You, you walk into a, a room full of people, a new situation, and, and you bring your idea. You bring yourself, uh, maybe even an extension of who you really are as a person. And you think, even though this isn't what's necessarily expected of me, maybe it's necessary. And so you, you take a chance and you, you muster up what little courage you have to try and bring this, this little thing, your twig of a Christmas tree... But you have doubts and insecurities because you start to look, at, look around at the other people who are doing things around you and you don't, feel as, you don't feel as pretty as Lucy, you don't feel as cool as Snoopy, you don't feel as smart as Linus or as talented as Schroeder or the choir, you're just you, Charlie Brown, with your twig of a Christmas tree and you're, you're hoping you don't get laughed out of the room. I wonder if you've ever been there. Charles Schultz started writing uh, the Peanuts comic strip back in the late 1940s, and in 1950, he was contacted by a national syndicate corporation that said, we want to take your comic strip nationwide. He had gotten some popularity at the local newspaper up in St. Paul, Minnesota, where he was from. Uh, The Saturday Evening Post picked up a couple of the panels a few years in a row, and so this syndicate says, we want to put your comic strip in every single major newspaper every Sunday morning, but there's a catch. We need you to change the name to Peanuts. And for you trivia buffs, if you've ever wondered, why Peanuts? Why is that the name of this comic strip? Well, the most popular program at the time was a show called Howdy Doody, and Howdy Doody had a peanut gallery. Right, the live studio audience of the children who would, you know, they'd kind of interact with the the characters in the show. They'd be on screen or on the radio. They'd heckle back and forth a little bit. And when the syndicate read Schultz's cartoon, they thought, "That's kind of what's happening here. This group of kids is kind of heckling each other, bantering back and forth." And so you should just call it Peanuts. Schultz hated that name. The whole run of the thing, he hated the name Peanuts. He thought it was ridiculous. He went along with it because when somebody offers you a bunch of money to take your cartoon nationwide, you say yes. But he hated it. The original title that he gave his comic strip was Little Folks. Little Folks was the original title. And the reason he called it that and liked that name was in the title, he was hoping to communicate what he was up to with this cartoon. He was very honest from the first day that this is a comic for adults. It's about children, but it's for adults. You see, he realized that children are far more honest about what's going on in their lives. Children are honest about what they're afraid of, what they're going through, their doubts, their insecurities, their joys, the things that make them happy. Children are very open and honest about all those things. But adults, as we mature, even though our, our doubts and our insecurities stay the same and probably get a lot worse as we get older, we lose our ability to honestly deal with those things. So Schultz had this idea that if I write children having conversations and dealing with situations that are more adult in nature, that that might actually help kids or help grown-ups deal with some of their insecurities and their difficult circumstances. Now, Schultz was no stranger to difficult circumstances or to pain. At the age of 15, Schultz's mother, Dina, was diagnosed with cancer So from 15 on, Schultz didn't know a mom who wasn't bedridden and ill. He was then drafted to to fight in World War II in the army. And while Schultz was away at boot camp when he was training in basic training, he got word from home that his mother's days were short. And so he got a pass to go back up to St. Paul to be with her. He was 20 years old at the time, and they, they said their goodbyes. They didn't know when they'd see each other again. And indeed, she passed away on a Monday while he was home. They had the funeral on Friday, and the very next day, Saturday morning, Schultz was on a train from Minneapolis bound for New York Harbor, where he would immediately ship off to go fight in World War II. And then on top of that, like so many other servicemen and women, he would come home having experienced the trauma of fighting in that war, which is actually where he began to write and to draw. He found a great deal of therapy in, in expressing himself creatively through writing and drawing and the, the seed of the idea of peanuts would form over there. And he thought, man, I think that this might help a lot of people coming home. This silly cartoon strip, he, it, was a, it was a twig of a Christmas tree of an idea. That through comics, he could help people process grief. So he took a chance with it. And God used it. Schultz was a Christian. He saw this as a ministry opportunity. He said in an interview once, uh, while most missionaries will go overseas to a mission field and most preachers have a pulpit to preach from, I preach in the Sunday morning papers in the funny section. And and the millions of lives that he touched and the fan mail that was collected over the years, it's now in a museum in California, of the lives that were changed because of this silly little cartoon strip that he invented. I think we wonder, with, with all of our own insecurities and our doubts, with our failures, the things that have happened to us in our lives, with all of our sins especially and the things that we would never tell anybody else, with all of that, we wonder, can God use us? Can God use this... Whatever little thing that we might possess, is that useful to God at all? Or are we just another Charlie Brown, completely hopeless? When I read Scripture, I see Charlie Browns all over the place. I see a bunch of people in the Bible who are nobodies from nowhere, with no earthly reason why God would use them at all for His plans, but He absolutely does. We read about a couple of them earlier. If you have your Bibles, you can open to Luke chapter 1, Where we we read about Mary, who was just told by the angel Gabriel that, that the Holy Spirit is going to conceive in her a son. And she'll name him Jesus, and he will be the Savior of the world, the long awaited Messiah. And the angel also tells her that her relative Elizabeth, who was thought to be pregnant or a barren, is also going to conceive, and that her son will play a part in this ministry and i can't really even imagine what that would have been like at the time to you know now what do i do an unwed teenage mother expectant mother 2000 years ago who who do i tell who do i talk about this twig of a christmas tree so it says in our reading today she didn't go to her parents or to her neighbors or her close family she went all the way to elizabeth immediately it says she hurried to the hill country of Judea to be with Elizabeth, probably the only other person on the face of the planet who might have a clue what she's going through because she's going through it at the exact same time. She went to be with her. says she hurried from Nazareth to Judea. It's about 60 miles. And in Mary's day, you didn't hurry 60 miles through what is essentially the desert for no reason. And then she stayed there for three months. These two women trying to process what on earth is God doing with our lives? How do we make sense of this? And who are we? I think that they both come to this profoundly humble posture. In Luke chapter 1, it says this Mary responded, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Essentially saying, Who am I that God would use me? I'm nobody from nowhere. And I think that's the heart that God wants to find in people. This pattern gets played out over and over in Scripture of people who really don't understand what God might do through their lives, through the little things that they have to offer. John the Baptist, Elizabeth's son, is another example. You know, if if there's ever a pig pen in the Bible, it's John the Baptist. The guy wore animal skins for clothes and he ate bugs and honey to stay alive. And his whole ministry was about preparing the way for Jesus, telling people the Messiah is coming. He's going to set us free. And he ended up amassing quite a following himself, doing what he was doing. But then Jesus gets on the scene and a bunch of his followers start to go over to Jesus. And some of his disciples are saying, what's going on? I thought we had a good thing. I thought we had a great big Christmas tree. It was pretty and lit up and we were doing a good thing, John. Why are all of our disciples going to see Jesus? But again, this same humble posture shows up where John says, he must increase. He must become greater and greater and I must become less and less. The little part that I played in this is coming to an end. That's the heart that God wants to see in people who he would use. The the Bible tells us that while we look at the externals, we look at the stuff that's on the outside of our lives, God sees our heart. And he's looking for the hearts of people who would say, I don't know why God would use me at all. Again, this story keeps getting repeated. Moses, the great first leader of Israel, was a murderer and God used him. David, the first great king, was a murderer and an adulterer. And he belongs in, if there's a, a, a hall of fame for bad fathers, he belongs in it, and God used him. And, and I know you hear these stories all the time of the unlikely heroes of the Bible, but if you still don't believe me, that God can use absolutely anyone at any time for any reason, just look at 1 Chronicles 1.10, where it says a guy named Nimrod was the first heroic warrior on the earth. And if there's hope for Nimrod, there's hope for me, and there's hope for you. God will use you. Hear me, God will use you, but not for the reasons you might expect. The measure of your usefulness to God is not in how great you are, and the things that you think you might bring to the table. The measure of your usefulness to God is how available you are. Mary said yes to God. John said yes to God. Paul The Apostle Paul in Scripture, again, a murderer of Christians before he became one and said yes to God, who God would then use to change the church forever, to launch the Christian ministry that we're all a part of. God used him because he was available. He wrote to the Corinthians about this spiritual journey, the path that God had him on exploring his usefulness. And and in 2 Corinthians 12, he's writing about a a metaphorical thorn in his flesh. And it said he he received this thorn in a flesh, some piece of pain that that God said it's going to keep him from being proud. Three times, Paul said, I begged that the Lord would take it away. And each time he said this, my grace is all you need for my power works best in weakness. So then Paul says, I will now boast about my weaknesses. I'll tell everybody of all the reasons why God shouldn't use me, but he still does so that when people look at my life, they don't see anything about me. They only see what God is doing through me. That's the kind of heart that God wants to see. He wants to take whatever you have, to, whatever you have available. We have this misconception, I think, in the church. Tell me if you've heard it. It goes something like this, God can use me in spite of my weaknesses, I don't see that in Scripture at all. I see a God who wants to use us because we are weak and willing to be honest about it. Because we're willing to give God whatever we have at our disposal, to say yes to him with all of our flaws and the things that come attached, and to watch him transform our humblest offerings into something beautiful. Let's watch. So consider what would have happened if if Charlie Brown had taken the more conventional route. You know, if he had just done what was expected, do something shiny and nice. The the movie would have been a lot shorter. But but would his friends have had occasion at all to hear about what Christmas really means? The story of Jesus' birth? Would they have occasion to rally around each other and support one another? Charles Schultz said this, little things we say and do in Christ's name are like pebbles thrown into the water. The ripples spread out and influence people we may only know slightly and sometimes not at all. God will use you. When we make ourselves available to him, I can't even imagine the things he's going to do through your lives. And one of the things that I think he can use you for this week is to help other people come and experience Christmas Eve just next weekend. We have a a tremendous opportunity to help people learn about this, this, this great love and grace found in a relationship with Jesus. And by inviting people into that, God is using you in a profound way.